Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests. So please consider this your warning, that it's not suitable for children, and it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast, so Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people. The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. I think I started reporting on this in like July. I was aware of the tobacco stuff a bit earlier because there were earlier firebombings back in like 2022 and 2021. So it's been going on for a bit. So I was aware of the illicit tobacco problem. It wasn't until it kind of like exploded that we went like, hold on a minute. Something's definitely going on. A couple of weeks ago, Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee posted a receipt from a Melbourne 7-Eleven to his Instagram account. It demonstrated that he'd purchased four packets of Marlboro Gold cigarettes at a cost of $251.96 Australian. 
those same four packets of Marlborough Golds would have cost Tommy $36 in the States. Many of his 1.8 million followers were shocked at the cost of the cigarettes in this country, but the high tax on tobacco is just part of the Australian government's long-term effort to eradicate smoking altogether. The official line is that we're on track to meet the target of having below 10% of our adult population identifying as daily smokers by 2025. As you're about to hear though, those statistics are very fuzzy around the edges, thanks to the burgeoning black market in illicit tobacco that's running hot in suburban shopping strips all over the country, but especially in Victoria. Journalist Marta Pasquale Juanola is a crime reporter for The Age, and she's written a series of stories about Australia's illegal tobacco industry. She joins us on Australian True Crime to talk about the increasing violence around this industry and the surprisingly big players involved. So what we're seeing, like, with the cost of living crisis and also the tobacco excise going up and cigarette prices going through the roof, um, what we're seeing is that a lot of people are flocking to the illicit tobacco market, basically because instead of having to pay $60 for a packet of smokes, you can get one for as little as $13. What's been happening here in Melbourne, and I'm sure like most people that live in town have noticed, like the increase in firebombings, different stores getting torched. Essentially, what's been happening here is a turf war between different gangs over the control of the illicit tobacco trade because it is so lucrative. Like, you've got so many people kind of like flocking to it and spending so much money on it. They're ripping all these like massive profits out of it. And so what's happening here is like you've got different syndicates that are fighting with each other over who controls what. So what we're seeing is like a tit for tat, like essentially a string of tit for tat attacks on like each other's shops. At the moment, we've seen like more than 30 firebombings that have been linked to this. Wow, that many? Yeah, in Melbourne and regional Victoria. So all over the metropolitan area in Melbourne, as well as Wangaratta, Wodonga. Yeah, you name it, like just all over the place. The business has definitely changed. I smoked Chop Chop, we used to call it, I would say 25 years ago. And in those days, I was living in St Kilda and there, was, there wasn't a cost of living crisis. I was just very povo. So we used to buy it from an old man who wandered around St Kilda and he would sell it in like Safeway bags, Coles bags, just big bag full for like, I don't know, 10 bucks or something. It wasn't sold in shops. I mean, this is new to me. Yeah, it, it was more of an like an under-the-counter kind of thing. Like what we're seeing is really brazen. Like we even, a couple of our journalists went out to like try to find cigarettes as well, like illicit cigarettes, to just see how easy it actually is to buy them. And you just walk into one of those tobacco shops and effectively, like, you just ask for a packet and they ask you, hey, do you want the cheapest stuff? So, like, they even offer it to you. And there's been instances where they even let you sample it. Here, have one, go outside and smoke one. If you like it, come back and buy a packet kind of thing. And for a lot of our listeners will be non-smokers or, but, you know, there are the machines where you can make sort of proper cigarettes and all of that, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And and the thing about illicit tobacco as well is that there's different types of illicit tobacco. So you've obviously got, you know, the chop chop, you, you've got like the loose tobacco as well that you can buy. You've got homegrown tobacco, so tobacco that's grown in Australia, that's not as common, like illegally grown out in farms or whatever, and then, you know, that you can buy as well under the counter. But then you've got like the branded cigarettes. So like the cigarette boxes, because in Australia, obviously, we have plain packaging for cigarettes. So they all, all different brands look the same, right? So you've just got the writing at the top. But um, you can actually buy cigarettes under the counter that have the actual branding like Marlboro, Double Happiness or Manchester are the most common ones. And so you can just go into a shop and just buy plain, like normal package can tobacco, you? like with the branding and the colors. Yeah. And those are either, 
like legitimate cigarettes that are sold overseas for cheaper. And so they're being smuggled into Australia or they complete like knockoffs of the actual brand. So it's hard to know which one is which as well. Like sometimes you get like Japanese cigarettes with like Marlboro or Manchester inside the red and white packaging with like Japanese writing on them. Other times they just have English writing on them. But then you can, if you have a look at like where they manufactured, they might be manufactured in China or they might be manufactured in the Middle East. So some are legitimate cigarettes that are sold somewhere else. Others are complete knockoffs of actual brands. And then you've got the homegrown one or, or, or loose leaf tobacco that is being brought from somewhere else. Obviously, the regulations around a lot of those products are, well, are virtually non-existent because if you look at even buying cigarettes in a place like China or in a place like Dubai, the health standards and the quality of those products in those countries is not necessarily the same as in Australia. But when you're getting counterfeit cigarettes that are not even the actual real deal, you can find anything from like rat poison, like to metal shavings, to all kinds of nasty, nasty stuff in them. How unhealthy can these cigarettes be that we can buy illegally? No cigarette is good for you, you know? I know that. Your lungs aren't <laughs> meant to filter anything except air. Well, it's hard to tell, I guess, because it's hard to monitor because anything that's in the black market, right? Like how, how would you even begin to quantify the harm that it causes in the community when you don't even have a grip on how common it is or who's buying it? And But I, I would say that it's probably pretty dangerous in terms of like in, in health terms, really, because like you said, if smoking is bad for you already, let alone like if you're smoking something that you have no idea what what's in it. Well, I guess that's what I'm asking. Do police have any statistics on how many, you're making me wonder how many Australians actually smoke now. I mean, you know, because we they have their official statistics and, and the health departments are, around the country are so happy with themselves because they've reduced smoking by this amount because of these excises, this incredible taxation on cigarette smoking. But now I think, well, have you? I don't know. Well, that's the thing. And I think that the statistics might be slightly skewed because you can't, you, there's no statistics on how many people just simply buy black market tobacco. So I'd say that probably it's not a true reflection of how many people actually smoke in Australia. And obviously we have no figures to know the, the real number. So we're flying a bit blind here. And I think everything around tobacco regulation in Australia and in Victoria in particular, we're flying really blind <laughs> yeah. in terms of like having data because we don't even know how many tobacco shops exist in Victoria. Wow. Isn't there some kind of registry of businesses? There's none. Um, no. no. And what you find a lot of the time with those tobacco shops is that they registered and, the, and there are all kinds of names. So they're not actually called, you know, Smith Street Tobacconist on like the register. You know, they registered under a completely different name that has nothing to do with the name of the actual business. And so the estimate is that there's between 800 to 1,000 shops that sell tobacco, but because you don't need a license and you don't need to register, we don't really even know how many tobacco shops are out there. And I guess we can't even tell anecdotally how many people smoke anymore because it's banned everywhere. So you very rarely see people smoking because they're not allowed to smoke in most public places. Yeah. And I have no doubt that, like, you know, there's been a reduction in smoking because of the excise, but whether the number is as low as the government make it out to be, it's a different story, I think. Yeah, uh, who knows? Have there been any deaths linked to these attacks? Police are investigating two different deaths that they believe might be linked to this whole underworld feud over the tobacco business. The first is the public execution, the very public execution of Afghan Ali, um, whose re real name is Mohammed Akbar Kashtia. He was shot in August in South Yara while he was walking home from the gym with a mate. 
A notorious Melbourne underworld figure has been gunned down in an execution-style killing in South Yarra. It happened near the bustling Chapel Street precinct, close to apartments, busy restaurants and packed pubs. Video taken by a terrified resident hiding in an apartment after hearing this. The target was Mohammed Akbar Keshtia, a notorious Mongol bikey known to associates as Afghan Ali, the 53-year-old dying after being rushed to hospital. He had been involved in the illicit tobacco business for quite a long time and had been carving out a bit of a, a spot in that market for himself. He had also been involved in a bunch of like standing over businesses around Chapel Street in South Yarra as well. So he had had quite a few enemies. Yeah, I mean, Afghan Ali was a classic gangster. Oh, yeah. You know, like classic old school Melbourne gang guy. I had no idea he was involved in the tobacco trade. That shocks me. Yeah, absolutely. So he was he was definitely dipping his toes in that pool before he was killed. And that's part of the reason why police are investigating whether that might have something to do with it, whether he might have wrapped the wrong people the wrong way. Okay, so that answers my next question because I was going to say to you, you know, who's running this trade? Like we know that bikies are, are very closely tied to the meth trade in Australia. So this kind of answers my question. I guess that really it's always the same suspects, isn't it? Whenever there's a lucrative black market trade, it's the same guys put their hands up and go, okay, I'll just, I'll do that then. Exactly. I think they just see an opportunity and they go in and seize it, right? So this is no different. Like you mentioned the meth and bikies being involved. Bikies have also been involved in the illicit tobacco trade. So you've got a bit of a mixed bag of players here. Um, a lot of it is like Middle Eastern organized crime groups and obviously can't name certain people for certain legal reasons, but you've got like a pretty notorious crime family based out of Melbourne's northern suburbs that's very much involved with this. You've also got very well-known underworld figures that are currently in exile overseas that are also coordinating this from afar. And you've got the motorcycle gangs. And what they're doing is like all these different groups are fighting with each other. I think this this notorious family from Melbourne and the guys in exile overseas are the main two forces here. And then in the periphery, you've got motorcycle gangs and all the other people that are also involved in this. But what they're doing is they're outsourcing a lot of the firebombing to street gangs and low-level criminals. So all the people that you have running around setting the shops on fire are actually like really young kids that are really disengaged um, and they're getting paid to go and blow up a shop. Always, always co-opting. Classic, yeah. classic MO, yeah. And I also I guess this kind of answers our question about, you know, how many Australians are smoking. Well, enough to make this worth the while of these pretty big crime players. I mean, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars a year in in profits that these people are like raking in. I mean, one estimate that's been thrown around from police sources is that this this notorious crime family from Melbourne is making $10 million a week in profit. So when you take that into consideration and like how low penalties are as well for tobacco smuggling and selling tobacco, you can see why this is really lucrative. And then you can grab all this money that you're making of selling illicit cigarettes and funnel that into money laundering, into weapon smuggling, into importing cocaine, meth, you name it. Like, you've got a very stable source of income that you can then use to further your criminal activities. That it has, like, a very high reward for very little risk because you, you're seeing penalties of, like, you know, a few months jail, like, hardly anything for the amount of money that the government is losing. I mean, I think I was looking at the estimate before, and I think... It's like $3.5 billion in lost revenue for the government. So when you're thinking about how much money they're actually losing, you know, this is not 
small fish. And it's a crime that I think a lot of Australians would not mind committing one bit. I think a lot of people go, yeah, yes, I will take those illegal cigarettes because I think the tax on cigarettes is a crime actually. And I feel like, I, you know, I think a lot, you know, I feel like I'm being gouged everywhere and then the government's trying to gouge me on my smokes. So yeah, I'll take your weird cigarettes. I don't know where they came from or whatever. How much does a packet of, of these cigarettes cost? Anything between $13 and $24 a packet. So it's still a massive markup. Oh, from, yeah, because they'd be buying them for like 2 to $5 elsewhere and then bringing them in. Yeah, yeah. So they're still making a lot of money, but in comparison to how much a packet costs in Australia, they're so cheap. Yeah. They're really, really cheap. And so I think what you were saying, you know, people don't mind committing. I just think it's seen as a victimless crime, right? Like, Absolutely, yeah. I'm just getting cheap, cheap smokes. What's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst that can happen is that people are getting killed, shops are getting firebombed, and that you're fueling the drug trade and, you know, criminal gangs, effectively. You're, like, lining their pockets. And you don't know what you're smoking. And you don't know what you're smoking, exactly. Coming up on Australian True Crime, our guest Marta Pasquale-Giornola talks about the rather paltry penalties involved in Australia's illegal tobacco industry. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. What are the penalties for the shop owners if they're sprung selling this stuff? Well, technically, you're not allowed to sell smuggled cigarettes, but the penalties are really low. I think it's like a fine. and But a lot of the time, these people don't actually get shut down or anything. Because the thing is, 
at the moment, tobacco falls under the federal umbrella as a customs issue, illicit tobacco. So it's seen as a customs issue because it's coming in from overseas. And ABF is the agency that has that has a leadership role in controlling the illicit tobacco at the border. Once it comes into Australia and it goes into the States, the people that are actually responsible for enforcing tobacco regulations are like environment officers at the local councils. So these are the guys that go around checking if a pie warmer at a milk bar is the right temperature <laughs> or if you've got all of your grease traps are clean. Right. And so they being they technically the ones responsible for waltzing into a shop that's controlled by the underworld and making sure that they're not selling illicit cigarettes. They have no training on how to do that properly. They have no way of ensuring their safety. And so they're just not doing it. That's crazy. I would have thought it would be the AFP doing sting operations going into these shops and then try to trace it back to, like, I would have thought it'd be treated like drug importation. Now, there's been a reluctance to actually nip nip this in the bud from a federal and and law enforcement point of view, I think, because it's seen as like a, yeah, like a, oh, you know, it's not a victimless crime, but it's small fish in comparison to meth and cocaine and what have you. So it's only been since those firebombings have started happening that we have seen Victoria Police, the ATO and AFP actually coming together and going and raiding shops. Like they've visited over a hundred shops in like the last few months. But before that, like it was just open slather for everyone. A council worker is not going to go and check. And we know that because we're looking at the infringement notices data and we're looking at like the visits that they carry out at the shops. They're just not going. If I was a council worker, to be honest, I wouldn't either because I know who who I'm dealing with. I'm like, it's not, not worth my life to go and bust this shop when I know the prominent families who are actually running this whole endeavour. But I would think that for the AFP, for the ATO, it's worth shutting down this enormous revenue stream for these huge crime organisations. You would think so. You would think so. But apparently it's not at the top of their priority list or it hasn't been traditionally. I mean, Victoria Police hadn't even been involved in this until until six months ago when they launched Lunar Task Force, but they didn't announce for like another six months. But up until that point in time, they just didn't even want to borrow it. It's only because they worried about safety that they now, and there's murders that have taken place potentially as a result of this, that they decided to step up. I mean, even the ABF, like, look, I kind of understand they're strapped for resources. You know, there's like a flood of cigarettes coming in. I mean, we're talking about shipping containers full of cigarettes. They can't get to everything. And the resources that it would take for them to be able to trace that back are enormous. So a lot of the time, because we're seeing a lot of piggybacking, which is when criminal syndicates are using legitimate companies to actually move the cigarettes in. So what we're seeing is like all they're doing is sending out a letter to this company being like, just so you know, we've located X number of cigarettes in your cargo. Be warned that this is illegal, whatever, don't do it again. But they're not actually prosecuting much in that space at all. We're seeing a bit of it, but it's by no means, you know, what we should be seeing in terms of like actually stopping this both at the border and once it gets into different states and territories. So what a perfect business for a crime organisation to get into in Australia. It's really a great idea. (laughs) It is is a great idea if you want to make some money and you want to make it quick um, and you don't want to go to jail for it. And if you've got the infrastructure already because you're already into drug importation, you know, you've got the people, you've got the infrastructure, you know how to do this stuff. I mean, what a moment when somebody realised, hey, tobacco, like this is, this is perfect. Yeah. 
yeah, it's absolutely the perfect crime. And I mean, we, I think authorities are starting to get a bit more concerned about it. I mean, we've seen police like really stepping it up and like they've had some success in like, you know, cracking down on, on shops and stuff. And it's good to see because, I mean, let's be honest, that needed to happen. But yeah, in terms of regulation, for example, there's still been no movement in Victoria, like in terms of like the government actually stepping up and, and tightening regulation. Because at the moment, regulation around tobacco sales in Victoria is pretty, this basically non-existent. So anyone can open a shop. They don't even check, do a background check or a fit and proper person test. Victoria is the only jurisdiction in Australia that does not have a licensing scheme. It's completely, it's the Wild West in terms of... Is it? <laughs> yeah. That's part of the reason why we don't even know how many shops there are. because there's just no list, no register, no nothing. So, What happens to people who do grow the old, the old chop chop growers who were growing tobacco in Australia and selling it? I can't imagine they've fared very well out of this. No, and I think that's kind of got a bit out of fashion, maybe. Maybe they've moved on to something else because we don't see it as much. I mean, it still happens. They've cracked down on farms in like regional Victoria and, and, and so on. But it's definitely not as common, I don't think, as it once was. But I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if those syndicates aren't overly keen for these people to sort of step in and try to take a, a piece of the cake. No, but also, I mean, you know, when we started this conversation, I was saying, and I, I, that's what I thought we were talking about. I thought we were talking about homegrown tobacco, you know, that really rough, dry, brittle stuff <laughs> that you were rolling up and smoking. I had no idea you could yeah. actually go and buy a normal, in inverted commas, packet of cigarettes in Australia for, for this amount of money. So it kind of, the other thing they tried to do when they regulated cigarette smoking in Australia and tried to really reduce it was put it in those ugly packets, you know, and re- reduce the glamour factor of it. This kind of puts that back, I would think, to a certain part of the population to have a packet of cigarettes from overseas to, it, it you know, there's no more tongue cancer on the front of my packet of cigarettes. That's got to help sales. Yeah, absolutely. And then you've got like, you know, funky Japanese writing yes. instead, you know, it's like, oh, look how cool this is. So, you know, yeah. yeah, how quirky. Yeah, I've just come back from Japan, whatever. Like, yeah. And look, I think if you go around, you now that you know, you're going to start noticing how many people are actually smoking cigarettes out of like branded packaging. Like I just, I go around in the city now and I just see it everywhere. And like sometimes it's so brazen that even shops are advertising it. Like they have like signs on their windows with like the brands like Marlboro or Manchester, like on their window. So where do you think this is going? I mean, now, obviously it's also the the fire bombings. Nobody likes a fire bombing is a lesson I've learned in life, particularly because a lot of these shops are suburban. And so we're talking about fire bombings in your main street, in your, you know, suburban shops. So have police managed to you know, slow that down? Is this the violence attached to the tobacco escalating or have we got a hold on that? Look, it's died down somewhat in the last month and a bit. Like we used to have one, like we used to have three every week at one point. It was nonstop. Like you'd wake up in the morning, another firebombing and another firebombing. And you had shops that had been firebombed up to three times, like in the span of like a weekend. Now that's kind of like died down a bit, but I mean, just last weekend we had a firebombing that was related to this. So really it's not stopping. Police presence or like CCTV cameras or whatever is not deterring these people from, from doing it. Like it's really brazen. They actually don't care about being filmed firebombing those places. I mean, we had a shop in the suburbs here in Melbourne that was firebombed twice. And the second time police had put a CCTV, like one of those CCTV 
portable CCTV towers right at the front of the shop, it was torched again, regardless. Like with police patrols in the area, with a CCTV camera installed right out the front. They just don't care. It's completely brazen. It's so blatant. It's there's a complete disregard. But are these young people then going to jail? Are they going to youth detention? Are they they're paying the price for this? Oh look, some are others haven't been caught yet. So we've seen a few arrests and whatever, but like not enough. Like not enough for the amount of firebombings that we're seeing. Like we haven't seen more than 30 people arrested in connection to this. God. And is this tit for tat? attacks between these two groups that you mentioned? Well, there's, there's, two, there's two elements to, to this, actually. There's, there's a bit of a tit for tat of, like, get out of my turf, I'm going to firebomb your shop. And then there's the firebombings that are part of the extortion racket. Because there's also a, an extortion racket that's attached to this, just because in case it wasn't enough to, mm. you know, go after another syndicate. What these people are doing as well is, like, going into legitimate shops, well, tobacco shops, not necessarily legitimate, but tobacco shops, and just talking to the owners and just being like, hey, you're going to have to pay us a tax. Like a classic protection racket, like you're going to have to pay us $1,000 a week in cash. If you don't, we're going to firebomb your shop, essentially. So you've got the firebombings that are because people are refusing to pay the tax. And then you've got the firebombings that are like a tit for tat between different groups. The extortion scams, are they a higher level or are they, are they lower level gangs, do you think? Oh, they're the same gangs that are fighting with each other. They're the ones that are sending someone in and trying to extort shop owners. Yeah, because that's a great trick that young people, the younger members of a gang can pick up pretty quickly, I find, the extortion part. It's like that doesn't take any connections internationally or any kind of, that doesn't take a lot of skill or you can go, oh, you can do that, can you? Can you just go in and threaten to firebomb a bloke's shop if he doesn't give you money? And that can kind of grow its own little niche but i think some of the gangs coordinating this whole thing i don't think they would look at you very kindly if you try to step on their toes and i wouldn't want to mess with them um they they definitely dangerous people you don't want offside well this is it like i was said to you i had no idea that afghan ali was involved in this because i thought it was pretty low level i really you've really opened my eyes i had no idea it was such a a huge issue yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the general consensus with people. Like, I think people didn't realize how big of a deal this was. Like, they just thought like, oh, it's cigarettes, whatever. But this has actually become, like, I think the firebombings in a way have kind of opened up a conversation about this and like have cracked this whole thing open. And you go like, holy hell, like, this is actually a lot more than cheaper cigarettes. Like, there's so many forces here at play. It is so dangerous. And like you said, it's suburban shops that might have an apartment building right at the top. You know, it, the fire might spread to the houses nearby. Like, you know, the, it, it's by sheer luck. A member of the public hasn't been injured as a result of this. I mean, the other guy that was shot that police are investigating whether it is connected to the illicit tobacco trade, Robert Issa, who was shot in Craigieburn, um, he was shot in the middle of a busy car park at a shopping centre. A busy shopping centre on high alert after a terrifying daylight execution. Gangland member Robert Issa identified as the man shot dead in a hail of bullets, linked to an escalating war between two powerful crime syndicates. Issa was sitting in a Mercedes in the Craigieburn Central car park when four masked men opened fire. Next to him, a 28-year-old Hadfield man who was also injured but now recovering in hospital. The gunman then fled in a black Range Rover, later found dumped and torched in West Meadows. Just imagine, like, if they had accidentally shot a member of the public as well. Yeah. Well, it's reminding me now very much of the, you know, classic gang wars in Melbourne. Once the violence starts to integrate into the wider community, then people start taking notice. People start to go, I could have been at that shop. I could have been there with my child. 
Oh, yeah, there's apartments above that shop. Suddenly everyone's very interested. Exactly. It's like that's the main concern here. And I think that's the reason why police are deciding to kind of step up because they're kind of going like, oh, okay, we've added to something because this is getting out of hand. Yeah, this is real. Yeah. When I was thinking about talking to you, I, all I could imagine was the kind of, you know, one or two oldies who sit out the side the um, RSL near my house and smoke. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, is, isn't it just that? Isn't I mean, you know, good luck to them if they can get some cheap smokes. I just had no idea. It was a, a, such a huge funding mechanism for real uh, organised crime. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, one sea container fits like about 15 million cigarettes and that alone is 4 million in profit. One shipping container. That's it. That's it. They're small as well. They're small. They're easy. They're light. They're not heavy. They're, and I guess they're not illegal. Is it illegal to bring them into Australia? They are contraband, right? Illegal cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. You're not allowed to bring them into Australia. You can only bring one full packet and an open packet of smokes into Australia. And I'm talking like a, a, a 20 pack. I'm not talking about a carton. Obviously the, the government um, is sitting on a report that was commissioned more than two years ago that recommended introducing legislation and tightening up tobacco regulation. Nothing came of that. They just sat on it for two years and now they have cut to go back to the drawing board because the situation has escalated to such an extent that it's no longer up to date. So while we had a tiny little window of opportunity to maybe make things harder in the beginning, we certainly missed that. And now that train spotted and now we have to rethink how to tackle this because like perhaps having a licensing scheme is just no longer enough. Yeah, so it sounds like it's it's a major funding issue now as well because now we're talking about a licensing scheme and implementing that and visiting these shops, that's manpower and maybe even more manpower at the docks and all of that stuff. It's, it sounds expensive. It's very expensive. So it's about how badly do we want to do we want to stop this, I think. But it's going to require a lot like a concerted effort from law enforcement at all different levels like federally and state. It's going to require the government to get on board. It's going to require legislation to be passed. It's it's a whole thing and it's not easy to do. It just depends on how high it is on the priority list for the government. And we've seen that here in Victoria, they're getting very distracted around housing, which is fair enough. There's a lot of issues a- around that. And I just simply think that it's too far down the priority list for them to do it right now. And again, there's no, the data is really difficult, isn't it? I guess, like as we were saying, there's no sort of definitive data to say how many Australians are purchasing these products or have started purchasing these products in the last six months or whatever. We can imagine how the cost of living you know, crisis has p- perhaps probably pushed people in this direction. But I guess the only hard data we have is that, well, there's a lot of violence around this industry, which would indicate that there's a lot of money around it. That there's a lot of demand. Yeah, because these people wouldn't be doing it if no one was buying cigarettes, right? At the end of the day, it is the public that is fueling this because if you don't buy illicit cigarettes, there's no money for them to be made. Thank you to our guest, crime reporter for The Age, Marta Pasquale-Giornola. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 139276 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.